us to open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 15, okay? So if you're using one of the Bibles we provided for you, you won't have to turn very far. It's on page 10 uh, this morning, Genesis 15, uh, page 10 in those Bibles. And as you turn there, I want to ask you a few questions to help us think about uh, where we're going in God's Word this morning. Uh, and you can just help me out by raising your hand in, in response. Um, how many of you would say you love to work? Anybody love, love to work? It's like where I can see you, like don't be kind of shy with it. Go ahead and toss it up there. You love to work, okay? So that's, that's good news. We even talked about that last week. We're made in God's image. God's a God who works. He's made us to work. So hopefully there's some, some love there, right? Um, how many of you love to work so much that uh, you hope that you never have to take a day off of work. Anybody still with me here? Um, okay, wow, that's not many people. Lots of laughter tells the story, right? So, so um, what about this question? How many of you have a flawless record of attendance in your workplace? Any, anybody with, no? Sort of, close, maybe, not really. Okay, doesn't look very good here. So, so let me then introduce to you uh, this wonderful lady by the name of Alina Griffin, okay? This is Miss Alina Griffin, all right? She works at uh, the Alta Bates Medical Center in Berkeley, California, okay? So let me tell you a little bit about Miss. Alina, all right? I think she would be cool with me. She looks like the kind of lady that would be cool with me calling her Miss Alina, all right? So, so, so she is, she is a, a lady who um, shows up to work every day with a smile on her face, energy of that of someone maybe about 60 years younger than she is, and every single day she wears her signature three-inch heels, okay? So I don't know if you can see her heels there, but there she is doing her thing, working really hard, smile on her face, three-inch heels, and she's getting the job done. So what does Ms. Alina do? Well, she's an administrative assistant, but she has many talents, and sometimes her responsibilities expand out from just her desk job, okay? So she has uh, helped deliver test results. She has a uh, pr- provided assistance in the burn center there at the hospital. And one day, she apparently had the the joy of of helping out in the menial task of delivering a baby in the parking lot, okay? So uh, she she, uh, apparently does a really good job in her work. And uh, Miss Alina has been punching the time clock there at the Alta Bates Medical Center since Harry Truman was in office in the late 40s, okay? Pretty long time. She's 85 years old. Now, guess how many sick days Ms. Alina has taken over these 65 years? One sick day because she had her appendix removed. Okay, so I think think we can kind of give her the, the benefit of the doubt. The very next day, all right, I find this hard to believe, but this is what the report said. Everyone's interviewing says she was in the office working on her manual typewriter the next day with an IV in her arm, okay? So she's, she's working hard, right? I think we would all agree with that. This is what she says about work. She says, I love coming to work. I really truly do. I love watching people get well, and every day I learn and learn and learn. I can't wait to get to work in the morning. Some people retire at 65, but good grief, I was just getting my second wind at 65, 
I feel like I'm 20, all right? And so apparently uh, she, she would like to work another five years at least. She just celebrated her 65th year uh, on the job. So stories like Alina's, they, they inspire us because as we confess to one another this morning, a lot of times we don't feel like getting out of bed in the morning, much less going to work every single day with great enthusiasm in our hearts. And yet, stories like Alina's, they inspire us because we know that there is something good and right and true about having this kind of dependable and faithful work ethic in our jobs. And even to to remember from last week, why is this? I believe it's because we're made in the image of a faithful God who wants us to reflect who he is in all things. And so this morning, I want us to to take a a few steps above where Alina is. In fact, maybe infinite steps above. And not think about her faithfulness and dependability, but to think about the faithfulness of our covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. This morning, we're going to look at Jesus as our true and greater covenant from Genesis 15 this morning. And as we we dive into this chapter, I believe we'll see that this text summons us to find great assurance by trusting in the faithfulness of our covenant-keeping God. All right, so as we move through Genesis 15, we're going to look at what it means to receive the promises of God through faith, and then we will dive into what sustains and strengthens that faith namely the faithfulness of God himself. Okay, so, so the first six verses, uh, let's read those together and look at what it looks like to receive the promises of God through faith. Here we go. Moses writes, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, Oh, Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. So here God appears to Abram in a dream, okay? Abram, two chapters later, will be renamed Abraham because he is, as God promised here, where he would become the father of many nations, the father of multitudes, which is what Abraham means. So, so we're just gonna call him Abraham uh, as we journey through chapter 15 today. But, but God comes to him in a vision. It says the word of the Lord came. This is the refrain that we see throughout the Bible when God shows up and speaks to his prophets to go and, and tell the message of the Lord to uh, his people. And so what we have here is this great promises of God, which are built on what's happening 
back three chapters earlier in Genesis 12. Okay, so look back, just flip back a page, Genesis 12, first three verses. This is what's going on, okay? Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God calls Abram out of his land. He says, go into the land that I will show you. Blindly, Abraham obeys God with, with faith in his heart. He walks out from his homeland, from his father's house, and he goes on a journey with God to dwell in tents. And it says then in, in chapters 12 through 14 that, that Abraham was blessed by God. He was blessed materially by God. And, and he takes his wife Sarah and his brother Lot, and, and their possessions become so much that he and his brother Lot have to separate. So, so Lot goes and settles in a, another land. He goes to settle in Sodom. And chapter 14 tells us that there were this coalition of kings led by uh, Ketaleomer who... Uh, took over the, the kings of Sodom and other kings there in, in the area. So now Lot has been captured by the, these evil kings. And so Abraham takes 318 men and he goes and he rescues his brother Lot <coughs> from the hands of these kings. Now we then get to Genesis 15. And it says, after these things, okay, the context is important. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham, fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. So this word that God gives, he, he gives promise for present and future protection. He says, I am your shield. We know that God is our shepherd, his rod and his staff, they protect us. But God is also our warrior. His shield protects us as well. And then he says to, to Abram, he says, you know what, Abram, you could have taken all those possessions that you retrieved for the king of, kings of Sodom, and, 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 but, but you chose not to because you wanted to glorify me. If you go back and read chapter 14, uh, Abram says to the king of Sodom, I'm not going to take all of your possessions because I don't want people to say that you made me great. I want people, I believe he, he's saying, to say God made me great. God is the one blessing me, not you. So, so he doesn't take those possessions and, and even more material gain in this life, but he is looking to the reward that God would give him. And God says, behold, your reward will be very great. Or as I believe the NIV says, behold, I shall be your great reward. So Abram is promised both present and future protection. He is promised a reward from God. But then in verses two and three, we find Abram fearful and doubting. Why is this? Well, number one, we, we know every time there is a, a, a theophany, a God appears or an angel appears in a vision to someone in Scripture, there, there are always this kind of fearful response, right? And if any of us were to encounter the presence of God, we would have the same kind of response. But it goes beyond that because what does is, what is Abram say in verse 2 and verse 3? He says, what will you give me? 
For I continue childless. God, you promised in chapter 12 that you would make my descendants great. Multitudes of descendants would flow through me. And yet, I have not even had a son yet. And I am, God, oh, by the way, almost 100 years old. It's not looking very good for me and my wife, Sarah. What are we to do? He said, well, maybe God, you know, maybe I misunderstood you. Maybe you'll work through my servant, Eliezer, who's in my house. And so he's fearful, doubting, wondering how God is going to fulfill his promises. So then what do we find in verses four and five? God reestablishing his promises with Abram. Here is God, God's answer, okay? He says, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And then it says that he brought him outside. Okay, so, so don't miss this, all right? Sometimes God speaks to us in the smallest, stillest voice. And then sometimes God speaks to us in huge ways. And so this is one of those huge ways that God is going to speak to Abram. He takes him outside of his tent and he tells him to look up. All right, now, now I know we as city dwellers, we have a hard time maybe understanding this because we step outside of, of, of our homes and we look up and we're not seeing very many stars, right, because of the city lights and, and everything that's going on around us. But if you were to go out into the country, maybe where my dad grew up, a, a t- outside of a town of about 3,500 people in the country where if you step out on a dark night sky that's not cloudy, you can, I mean, I was amazed when I went there and just looked up and you can see the stars that just fill the sky, okay? Especially if you have your contacts in, all right? So it's amazing to see the number of stars that God places for us to see. And so Abraham is looking at all of these stars more than he can count. And God says, so shall your offspring be. Now, the operative phrase here in verse 5 God says, if you are able to count them. In other words, Abram, you are not able to count them. Your your descendants will be innumerable. This is how many descendants you will have, okay? So, So the God of Abraham, all right, says, look, you will be counting stars for as long as you live and beyond. Because here's the beautiful thing is we'll see everyone who is a son of Abraham, which is everyone who is in Christ, every time someone places faith in Christ, it's it's as if a new star is born, right? Abraham has another descendant every time someone steps over from death to life in Christ. So Abraham counts the stars. And what does verse six say? It says that as Abraham is looking up at the stars, he believes God. He leans, I mean, think about this. He is looking up at these stars, and this is, this, this is an impossibility for Abraham. He's not even seeing a way that he can have one child, one star, one offspring, and God says, you'll have more than the stars that you can see in the sky. He leans into the heart of God. He throws himself on to the promise of God. He says, God, whatever you say, that you will do. And and verse 6 tells us, Abraham Abraham was counted righteous in the sight of God. 
God counts Abram righteous. In other words, he has now a right standing with God. And this is the question that every person is hopefully asking in their life. How can I be right with God? How can can me, as a sinful person, how can I have a right relationship with a holy God? And the answer has always been the same from the very beginning until today. It's always been by faith. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So I want to ask you this morning, do you share the faith of Abraham? Have you placed your faith in God and his work for you? Because if you have, then God sees you as righteous. And when you share the faith of Abraham, You have a very great reward. You are more blessed than you can imagine. What does 1 Peter 1 verses 8 and 9 say? Though you have not seen him, okay, has anyone seen God with their physical eyes? No. Has anyone seen Jesus with your physical eyes? No. All right? So though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you are filled with glory and inexpressible joy. And what are we obtaining? The outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. If you share the faith of Abraham, you are obtaining the salvation. You belong to God. God will rescue. He he has rescued you in Christ. He will forever rescue you by ushering you into his presence. So in all of these promises that God makes to us, we are to receive them by faith. It's the only way that we receive these blessings and reward from God. But then number two, what we'll see through the rest of the chapter here is that we can rest assured in the faithfulness of God to fulfill all of his promises. Look in verse seven, God continues and he says to Abram, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. So how does Abram respond to this? Well, with faith, he even asks, oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it. This question in verse 8 is very pivotal in this narrative, okay? So if you, want an, if you want a little tip on, as you're reading through the Old Testament, as you're reading through the New Testament, anytime you're reading narrative, pay careful attention to the dialogue in the narrative, because usually what's going on, the author will include some very important key truths through the insertion of dialogue into the narrative, okay? So, so Abram asked this question, how am I to know? So though even, even though Abram has faith, he wants assurance that God will fulfill his promises to him. I mean, don't, don't miss the significance here, okay? Abram is the father of faith, right? He is described as a friend of God, someone who experienced a closeness and intimacy with God, and yet even in his faith, Abraham doubts. He, he needs assurance. He, he's asking God to assure him of these great promises. And I don't know about you, but, but there are times in my life where I need some assurance from God. 
There are times in my life where my faith gets a little weak. God, how are you going to work this out? How are you going to come through? The odds seem stacked against me right now, God. They seem stacked against us, God. I'm not sure how you're going to come through. And so, God, would you just provide a little assurance to help me continue walking for you, to sustain my faith, to strengthen my faith? And here's the beautiful part. When we come to God with our doubts. By the way, I love what one pastor says. He says, mature faith takes doubt to God. Okay, so God is big enough to handle our doubts. When we, when we doubt and need assurance, we just take those doubts to God. Because then what happens is God will speak to us as he does to Abraham in Genesis 18, 14, and he'll say stuff like this, is anything too hard for the Lord? And that's a rhetorical question, by the way, okay? It's like the answer is no. Nothing is too hard for God. And so listen, if you this morning are struggling to wait on God to fulfill his purposes in your life, if you're struggling to believe that God is always faithful to all of his plans and purposes and promises, then perhaps you just need to take your doubt to God and let him speak words of truth and comfort and assurance into your life. I mean, I, I totally get it, okay? Some of you are thinking, man, I'm still working on that degree. Should have been done two years ago. I don't know why I'm still in school. I wasn't planning on being in school at this point in my life. Man, what's, what's, what's going on here? Some of you are thinking, man, I, I thought I would be married by now. I thought that children would be in the equation at this point in my life. We all have desires and hopes and dreams, and, and we wait on God to, to maybe come through and answer favorably in our lives. So I love what some have said. God is seldom early, but he is never late. From our perspective, God seems like he's late. It's like, God, where are you? What's going on here? When are you going to show up? When are you going to answer that prayer that I've been praying for like 10, 15, 20 years? And yet God will work out his purposes, his perfect purposes and will in our life. And so it is our privilege to continue walking by faith, one step in front of the other every single day of our lives, knowing that God is faithful. He will bless us, maybe not in always the ways that we expect, but he will bless us according to his perfect plan for our lives. Has anyone experienced that in your life? Amen. God is faithful. And so God then to answer Abram's question, okay, the, the, next, the next 12 verses are hinging on this question in verse 8. How am I to know? And so God answers this question by providing a covenant with Abram. Look in verse 9. This is how God responds. How am I to know? Here's, here's God's answer. Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all of these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. 
And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell on him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the land of the Kenizzites, the land of the Canaanites, the land of the Hittites, Perizzites, and Rephaim, the Ammonites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, the Jebusites, and I did the best I could with those names. There you go. It was just by the tip. Just, just read like you know how it's supposed to be pronounced and keep, keep reading, all right? So this is God's covenant with Abraham. What is a covenant? Okay, here's, here's a really cool thing. We can trace covenant all through Scripture, just like we did with the image of God last week. From the first page to the very end, we can trace this covenant theme across Scripture. God has made covenants with Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, and even us today. We're all recipients of God's Covenant. Now, what is a covenant? Here's a simple definition. A, a covenant is a binding agreement before, between two or more parties. And so this, this ceremony that Abraham and God uh, partook of together was an ancient form of, of treaty or agreement, okay? He, he sacrificed these animals and, and he, lay, he cut them in two and laid them over against one another, okay? So there's like this, just like this road that we've made today because more and more people are coming to our church and we really love that and we need to spread out and get more chairs in here. There was, there was a, like a row in between the parts of the animals. And in ancient times, what would happen is people would pass through the pieces of animals to say, hey, I'm committed to this relationship and what we have set out together, so it's an agreement between two parties. To get a little more technical and theological, though very concise, you can remember this, okay? O. Palmer Robertson, uh, an Old Testament theologian, says, a covenant is a bond in blood sovereignly administered, okay? You might want to write that down. A covenant is a bond in blood sovereignly administered. So we, again, we said a covenant is a bond, okay? It's, a, it's an agreement, it highlights that there is a relationship between two people or two groups of people that are now committed to one another, bound together because of the covenant that they are making. This is why a biblical understanding of every marriage is that marriage is covenant. It's an agreement between two people, a commitment, a bond. But not only is it simply a bond, it's a bond in blood. 
The animal sacrifice and shedding of blood represents the intensity of the commitment. In other words, this covenant carries life and death consequences. It's a bond in blood, and it is a bond in blood that is sovereignly administered. Okay, so so what what does that mean? This is what we then begin to see in verse 17. Don't miss this. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. Okay, so we said a covenant is made by the the two parties passing through the pieces to say, hey, my life is bound up in this agreement. Okay, so, so, uh, we could say that, that the, the dividing these animals and passing between the pieces, it was a pledge to life and death. In other words, may what ha- happened to these animals happen to me if I failed to keep the covenant. Do you see that? It's a bond in blood. This is the intensity of the commitment. It's a bond in blood that's sovereignly administered. So if, if, if this is the kind of commitment that is made here in Genesis 15, that that our life is bound up in the commitment, the fulfillment of this covenant, then we should ask, who's passing through the pieces? Because if you read carefully with me, it's not Abram. Abram's not passing through the pieces. He sees in this this vision a smoking pot and a flame passing through the pieces, which is representing God's commitment to fulfill the covenant. Are you with me? So, So God is saying, may I cease to be God if I don't fulfill this promise and commitment to you. This is how committed God is to his promises, to his people, to fulfilling whatever he says he will do. This this covenant, I mean, not all covenants are like this, but this particular covenant is what is known as a unilateral covenant, okay? It's a one-sided covenant. There's only one person passing through, one person that says they're going to fulfill this, and it is God himself, So we can know that God is so committed to fulfilling his covenant that he stakes his very existence on his promises. God is the one who is initiating. This is God taking the first step. The covenants are are covenants of grace when we see them in the scripture. And so What is this for us? This is assurance. You want some assurance in your life? Is God God really going to fulfill his promises? Is Jesus really going to come back? Is he really going to take us into his presence to be with him forever? Is God true to his word? And the answer is yes. He has bound himself to us in his covenant. I hope that encourages you this morning, gives you some assurance and confidence by the nature of God and his fulfillment of 
his promises. So then the question becomes, well, then if God has made this, this covenant and Abraham doesn't see the total fulfillment of it, and I'm not seeing it in my own life like I, I hoped, then, then how do we deal with that? Well, I want to just point out a couple of things at least two reasons why God delays the fulfillment of his covenant promises. And I hope that they will be some encouragement to us as we consider why God might delay at times the fulfillment of his promises, okay? Number one, wait patiently because God has a plan, okay? When God delays, wait patiently because he has a plan. We saw this in verses 12 through 16, the first part of 16, Because what do we have there? We have a prophecy that takes us through the end of Genesis and through the first 15 chapters of Exodus, all right? Your people are going to be exiled. They're going to sojourn in a land that's not theirs, but they're going to come out. I'm going to rescue them. I'm going to redeem them. We're going to see that in a few weeks. And so, so God is saying, look, even though you may not see it, I have a plan. I am working out my promises. And here is, I think, probably the the primary motivator for why God delays, why he is waiting to fulfill his promise. And it's in this somewhat cryptic phrase at the end of verse 16 where he says, for the sin, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Now, who are the Amorites? They seem to be the people groups that make up the land that Abraham and his descendants would go and take. And so what God is saying is, I am going to be patient with the Amorites. Their sin, their iniquity, it's not full yet. It's not complete. I'm not going to exercise my judgment on them just yet. So God, even though he is a just God, his gavel is very slow to fall. And the same is true today. Why has Jesus not returned? Why do we wait for glory on this side of eternity? It's because God is patient with us, not wanting one person to perish. This is how much God loves his people, even rebellious people that turn away from God. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Which should be, if this is God's heart for all people of the world, then this should be our heart as well. And this should drive us to share the gospel with every person that we possibly can while we have breath. So this covenant God is faithful to fulfill all of his promises. I love what Lamentations 3, verses 22 and 23 say. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So so let's put this in very practical terms, all right? When you wake up tomorrow morning, new. 
Tuesday, new, new mercies every single day await you. And I know you're saying, man, this was a rough week or I've had a really bad day today and I need some new mercies like tomorrow morning to be there for me. But, but if we're being honest, we know that in our, on our worst days, on our best days, we need the new mercies of God for each new day. We need his steadfast love that never ceases. We need the faithfulness of God, which is great to be there for us, to sustain us and strengthen us on this pilgrim journey that he has called us to. So I hope this morning that you are beginning to grasp how true God is to his promises and that that would fill you with great assurance. I know of of a few better verses in the New Testament that that speak to the Christian in in such a a full way when it comes to this idea of assurance, okay? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. The saying is trustworthy. Paul likes to say that to grab people's attention. The saying is trustworthy for, speaking of Christ, if we died with him, if we died with Christ, we will also live with him. Okay, so if we've died to ourselves, died to our old way of life, died to our sin through repenting of our sin, God making us new, then we will live with Christ. Okay, we have life in him. That's really good news. But it goes on to say, if we endure we will also reign with him. So the Christian then perseveres in faith. And the end of our perseverance is a total overcoming. Just go read the book of Revelation. To him who conquers. So we overcome and one day then we will reign with him. But then don't miss this. If we are faithless, and man, there are so many days when I am faithless, when I am faithless, when you are faithless, when we are faithless, he is faithful for he cannot deny himself. If you are in Christ, there is nothing you can do to stop his love for you. Man, you blew it. I know you blew it. I blow it. Man, I've I've sinned against God, had thoughts I should never, ever think. And yet, God perseveres in his love for me. He keeps me in himself. His covenant bond is never broken. And he will cause me to persevere with him and reign forever. Because he cannot deny himself. Christ is in us. So when we see the faithfulness of God, hopefully we are then compelled to image forth this same faithfulness. As those made in the image of God, now we are to reflect God in all we say and do. So just as God is a covenant keeper, we are to keep the covenants that we make and enter into. And and whatever commitment we make, we should be faithful and dependable to fulfill this covenant. So in your covenant commitment with God, man, give yourself to him wholeheartedly. Die to yourself every day. Depend on him. What about your marriage? Husbands, are you faithful to your wife? Wives, are you faithful to your husband? Singles, 
Are you faithful to your potential future spouse? Because let me just say this, like fornication and sexual immorality, it's, it's, it's like adultery in advance. Are you faithful to your church? We've entered into covenant with one another. We've made commitments to God to say, we're a group of followers of Jesus who are striving to be committed to him and not just committed to him in a kind of solo kind of way, but, but AP and Phil and Vickers and Yoldi, like we're in this thing together. So I'm gonna pray for them and they're gonna pray for me and they're gonna encourage me when I'm down and I'm gonna encourage them when they're not, you know, walking as God has called them to walk. It's a covenant, it's a relationship, it's a bond. It's a privilege to be united as the family of God to live for him. So how do we then find motivation and strength to demonstrate this covenant that God has made with us? And here is the simple and the beautiful answer that we can dive into for all eternity. It's through God's true and greater covenant, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the true and greater covenant that God has made with us as his people. Jesus came to establish and fulfill God's covenant with his people. He sacrificed his blood on the cross, taking the initiative, sovereignly administering this grace so that we who look to him enter into this now relationship with God himself. Looking at Isaiah 42, take a Bible. If you're using one of the Bibles we provided, it's 602, all right? Page 602, Isaiah 42. This is the first servant song of, of four songs in Isaiah that are specifically pointing us to Messiah, okay? To the Savior, to Jesus Christ, the Redeemer. And, and what does it say here in this servant song about the Lord's chosen servant who is no other than the Son of God? says this, behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. 
So God in Isaiah 42 is, is saying, there is a servant coming. He is my servant, and this servant is my son. And he is going to bring justice, and he's going to open blind eyes, and he's going to release from, from, from uh, those who are imprisoned and, and under captivity. He is going to release them for freedom because he is a covenant for the peoples and a light for the nations. Jesus is our covenant. And when he died on the cross, he inaugurated this new covenant now that all who are in him participate in this covenant through his blood that he shed for us on the cross. So I just have to ask you today, have you placed your faith in Christ have you found life in him? Have you found a true relationship, a true bond with the God who made you? And now you're experiencing all the blessings that flow from this new relationship with God that has been made accessible for you through the sacrifice of Christ. This is why Jesus came. This is why he died. This is why he rose again. So that now through him, Christians can experience the blessing of God every single day of their life and on to eternity. It's through Jesus that we have all the assurance we need. All of the promises of God are yes in him. And so in the church now, we have a couple of signs that point to those who partake of the covenant, okay? Two chapters later in Genesis 17, God would say to Abraham, I want you and, and everyone who is a male that is in your family, among your people, to be circumcised. This was the sign of the covenant in the Old Testament. And now today, for those who are in Christ, we have the covenant uh, sign of baptism. When someone places faith in Christ, they are showing that they belong to Jesus, that they've died to their old way of life, and God has made them a new person, and they have been born again to live a totally different life with God. And then the continuation of this covenant is the sign of the Lord's Supper, by which we show the world, hey, I am a participant in the broken body that was sacrificed for me on the cross. And I participate in the blood of Christ that he shed for me on the cross. So that now I totally belong to God and he totally belongs to me. And I now receive all the blessings and promises of God through Jesus and his work. So what we're gonna do is I'm gonna pray in just a moment. And if you are in Christ, then yours is the privilege to walk down these aisles and to partake. When the ushers hand you a piece of bread, they will say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. And then you'll take the bread and you'll dip it in the cup and, and the person who holds the cup will say, the blood of Christ shed for you. Because this is what Jesus said, this is the, the blood of the new covenant given for you. He gave it for us that we might have life in him. So listen, if, if you're here and you're not yet in Christ, 
then don't despair, but receive his covenant promise and blessing today, okay? So what's gonna happen is I'm going to partake and then I'm gonna go to the back here in the center aisle. And if you are not yet in Christ and you want to respond to, to Christ today and receive him by faith, then come and let's talk about that and let's get that thing sealed. The, the, the deal can be done. There's no reason to wait to follow Jesus with your life. Make the decision today. So let's pray and let's partake of the new covenant of Christ, blood and body. God, thank you. For